I'll be reading scripture this morning from the uh, book of Romans. Before I do that, though, I want to wish all you amazing women of this church a, a blessed and a happy uh, Mother's Day. Romans 8, I won't be reading just four verses, but I love this, this chapter. This chapter is rich with uh, beautiful examples and declarations of who we are, what we are, to whom we belong, where we are at, and why we are. You follow me, if you will. We're going to start reading with 15, verse 15. For you did not receive, you, by the way, that includes us. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you, that's you and I, received the spirit of what? Sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testify with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering in order that we also may share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. May the Lord bless his word. We have something special for our moms this morning. We, uh, it's a tea towel. Uh, if you can't read it, it says... Uh, a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised from Proverbs 31.30. If you didn't get one in Bible class or hadn't gotten one yet, they'll be available at the desk in the Welcome Center on your way out. And we would really like for you to be able to take one of those with you and display it proudly on your oven or wherever it is that you hang tea towels and those kinds of things. And by the way, uh, anytime the kids get unreally, you could just point to it. God says... And, uh, of course, then again, when your husband misbehaves, you might just kind of, and that'll help in that process. Also, uh, if you'd like to, want to be sure the, the, the Mother's Day cards will be in the front yard all day. If you want to text a friend or something that might enjoy having a picture out there, then feel free to do that. It's open to anyone. We'd be glad to have them. Uh, isn't Ronnie doing a great job with our lawn and our landscaping and all those kinds? Give him a... It was about two weeks ago, and every single bud on that rose bush was alive with pink, reddish flowers. And, and I thought, oh, how terrible. Because in two weeks, there'll be empty buds as opposed to fresh buds for, for Mother's Day. Sorry that we couldn't get that timing exactly right. It's amazing how contrasts are such a theme in the book of Romans. The idea of God's salvation being revealed, but also that contrasted with the reality that God's uh, wrath is being revealed in the world. It is when we understand the world in these contrasts that there is life and there is death, that there is sin and there is, is forgiveness and new life in Christ, that there is an old way that is slavery to sin and that there is a new way where we are slaves to God, amen? That there is an old way that was about the way of the law. 
And the way of the Spirit is contrasted with that. And we looked at that last week and it makes such a difference. And as that passage closed, and this is so typical of Paul, anytime you have a a word that closes a section, he almost always points towards what's coming next. That the present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed, about to be revealed. And then it's kind of interesting that that glory is going to be revealed in you. It is appropriate that Mother's Day falls on this passage because the process of becoming a mother is such a powerful example. In fact, it's such a powerful example that in verse 22 in this section, he will point to it and say it's, it's like the woman who is in the pangs of childbirth and the suffering that takes place. And what we know about the suffering of bearing children, and sorry, let me be sure and say, what I know vicariously and what so many of you know very, very, very personally Um, it's not all that easy to vicariously observe this pain, just so you know. And and I realize it's not the same, but those of us who who say, breathe, breathe, you can do it, also, you know, kind of have a struggle with that as well. But it's interesting how the, the suffering is not just about that last phase. It is not just about the idea that we're going to move from a baby inside to a baby that's in the world. The suffering of, of, bearing chill, of, of, of being pregnant and bringing a child in the world starts very early in the process. Uh, we, were, we were blessed to have one child that there was almost no morning sickness. And then we had another child and there was morning sickness. Elise had morning sickness nearly to the day she delivered this last baby, Maddie. And the pains of your body changing, the soreness of your back. And then the, those little tinges that tell us that something's about to change. Paul grabs that. And he says, you need to understand that this is where we are. We are in the world in a sense of moving from one place to another. We are in a place where the reality of a birth of a new child has, has been revealed and is sure. Is Christ coming again? Amen? Is the resurrection of one going to become the resurrection of all? And the answer is yes. And we know that that day is coming. Our hope and our faith is in that day. But between the day of Jesus' resurrection and all the days of our joining in that resurrection through the waters of baptism until the day when he comes again and makes all things new, all of those days are about a level of suffering. I want to read from uh, some more verses in this section. Let's continue. We'll pick up in verse 18. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but the will of the one who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay. I just want to comment very quickly here. Paul's image here is the very first page of the Bible. That there was a time when the creation itself was part of the glorious, glorious way in which Jesus was resurrected. It didn't experience decay. It didn't experience death and decline. Now, I want to be sure and say, I have no idea what this looks like. I don't know what the the garden before 
the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the idea that we're going to choose our own path of good and bad. I don't know what the garden was like before that, but I, I believe, and I think Paul is trying to express to us, that even if we go to the most beautiful garden we can find, and it's full of the most beautiful flowers and, and blooming trees, and maybe a tree not only that has the, the blooms of the buds, but also has the fruit hanging on it. No matter how green and lush the ground is, no matter how much there are no mosquitoes and no fire ants, somebody say amen, no matter how wonderful your picture is of what this creation can be, it is not exactly the way God created it. And yes, you and I can sit and we can wonder at the glory. We, we got to take the kids to Yosemite one year and you just sit in one place and you literally look in 360 degrees, any direction you look, and it just takes your breath away and you say, God! But I want to tell you that what the world will be when Jesus makes all things new will not just take our breath away, it will cause us to fall down in absolute worship at the goodness of God. Amen? And so Paul points back and says, you need to understand that, the creation, that you, as human beings, are not the only ones who are suffering through this time before all things are made new again. That creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will attain the freedom the glory of the children of God. Verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains. There it is until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see... We wait. We wait for it with patience. This entire set of chapters, going all the way back to chapter 5 and, and leading through, and in reality will push on through 9, 10, and 11, is a very different kind of approach to the way Paul has talked about sin and salvation in the first four chapters. This is a big picture view. And the idea is that sin... And its impact is much more than just the idea that you and I sometimes often grapple with, the idea that I fail, or that I have failures, or that I'm incomplete, or that I am broken, and that something is going on that, that I can't get completely right. Because what Paul points to, and again, he points back to that first page of the Bible. Maybe we at this point should say the second page of the Bible. Where what God made right, we decided, no, no, we can make it righter. And in choosing, that, choosing to say that we can make it righter, death came into the world. And there's a, a lot of ways that we can kind of contemplate that. Decay, destruction, the actual reality that humans will step into death at some day. Someday. But more than that, the creation itself was changed. So the power of sin and understand the impact of the agents of God. You remember those six days of creation? God stopped on the sixth day and he said, this is the one. 
I don't care how beautiful the birds are. I don't care how beautiful the skies and mountains are. I don't care how beautiful the sky filled with stars is. I want you to know what bears my image and is my representative. And that is these human kinds. And I don't think that we realize the impact that we as humans have on the world. Because it was not the creation that decided, you know what, I think we'll figure out how to do this on our own. Have you ever noticed as the seven to six days, sorry, a created order comes together? When God says something to creation, other than humankind, guess what? It is done. When the storm was raging on the sea, Jesus said, be still, and the storm had no choice but to obediently stop. So different than humankind. And so it is that the sin of Adam and Eve as they in the garden decide, no, 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 I'll choose what's right and wrong, has been perpetuated. Pick your number, thousands, tens of thousands, whatever your number is, has been perpetuated from all of us, by all of us, as we participate in that same process. For God's wisdom and his love is revealed in his word, amen, and that we choose to say, no, I think I, think I can decide better. I think I'll define what the good and the bad is. I'll define what the right and the wrong is. And in that, the world continues to struggle in what it awaits. Sin is more than my failings and brokenness. You see, when we understand the world in this way and we start to be able to paint the picture to people in our lives who say things like, how can a good God let that happen? Have you ever heard that phrase before? How can a, a loving God let such terrible things happen? There is a very clear answer. A loving God didn't make those things happen. Sin and brokenness has come into the world and it has been manifested in so many ways that we can't count. Amen? If I just break it down to the very simple idea of God's desire to love us and his call for us to love him and in loving him to love our neighbor... If we could just be in the process of really figuring out what it is to love others in the world, how different is that from a world that tries to leverage every bit of power that it can to tear down other people? To say, if you belong in this category, which always, by the way, I don't belong to, right? Mine is a better category. If you belong in this category, then I can just run over you. I don't even have to act like you're human let alone think that you deserve the love that God has given me, even though I don't deserve it. You see, sin, sin and all its implication is what's wrong with the world. What's wrong with the world is not that God doesn't love us. God has sent Jesus. He didn't send him on a throne. He didn't send him with with chariots carrying him down the road. He didn't send him with people fanning him so that he would always be nice. He didn't send him with people who were always going to wash his feet and make sure that he was clean, had the best sandals all the time. He sent him in abject, in reality, abject poverty. And then he sent him to the cross. What has God done to break the power of sin? Absolutely everything that needs to be done. And Paul says, when we understand the world that way, we have to understand the necessity of the Spirit in our lives. 
because the, the, the atomish part of us is still there. The implication of sin is still at work in fleshly things. And, and in reality, you know, again, I can just testify how many times. The, the frailty and the fragility of the flesh, and, and as it decays and declines, is still there. But inside me is something different. Inside me is something that is already being made new. Paul will say it in this way as we continue reading from chapter 8. Just picking up in verse 26. The same way that as we closed out last week, the Spirit told us to say, Abba, Father. Recognize that the Spirit tells us we're children. The Spirit likewise helps us in our weakness. For we don't know how to pray or how to talk to God, how to, how to reach out to Him. But that very Spirit intercedes for us with sighs too deep for words. And God who searches the heart knows what is the mind of the Spirit. And I'm here we have lots of interpretations of this idea. But I want to say to you, I believe that what he's trying to get across is that within us, when the Spirit comes, it's not just a transformation of heart and soul and strength. It is a transformation of the mind. And that our mind is being renewed to desire the things of God and the things of the Spirit. And so because, and God who searches the heart knows what is the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Verse 28, we know that all things work together for good through those who love the Lord. Who are called according to His purpose. We can bend those words in lots of ways that they're not intended to be taken. Sometimes we say, oh that means that nothing bad will ever happen to me. I would say to you that the exact opposite is exactly what Paul is pointing to. He's talking to some people, Jewish Christians, who've been literally uprooted from their homes and told they have to leave town. I don't know how much we've thought about the, the struggles of a quarantined pandemic world, but I promise you it isn't anything to compare with the idea of the government walking into your home and saying, you got 24 hours to be out. Where are we supposed to go? And the answer was, we don't care. Because what you will be is out. And Paul says, God's even going to use this for his good. Because the Spirit is inside you. Just one example. Aquila and Priscilla go to Corinth. They are people from Rome, probably Jewish Christians. They come to, to, to Corinth. They run into a guy named Apollos and a guy named Paul. And the ministry of the church is expanded. And may not have been the same if they hadn't have been in Corinth. So the question is not, why are all these bad things happening to me? The question for those of the Spirit will always be, what is God doing, even with these struggles? To shape me, but you know what? It's more than just shaping you. It is to shape the kingdom of God. I've begun to pray this prayer as I pray over people who are sick. Father God, I just pray. This is kind of how I close out. If this is repetitious for you, my apologies. Father God, I just want to pray. As we pray for this healing, as we pray for all things to come together in this surgery or, or whatever it may be, that above all, we will look for the way that you will be glorified 
through it. There'll be a day when the answer from the oncologist for me is likely not to be, it's going away. Someday, it will be no, nothing else to do. I'm clear now, thankful for that. But when that day comes, I believe all the things that I've gone through in that process and even the way that I will die can be something that I can point to God and say, God, I want the view to be glorified in this. And I will quote this verse. All things, all things work together for those who love the Lord. And if I could just say it, because Paul's implying it here, who let the Spirit live in them. Amen? When all things work together for good for those who love the Lord, who are called according to His purpose. For those He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn with a large family. And those He predestined also called, and those He called, He also justified, and those He justified, He also glorified. I'm just going to tell you right now, I'm not going to unravel predestination today. And all the mothers in the audience say, you don't want me to do that on your... I can promise you that we're, we are going to preach through chapters 9, 10, and 11. And I've got more to say about this. But at this point, I want you to understand very quickly that the predestination language has a whole lot less to do about what individuals are going to experience and a whole lot more about... When we turn our lives into God and we let the Spirit work in us, nothing can keep us from God. He will see it through. Somebody say amen to that. There are many more things to say. Today is not the day. Last week we looked at the law of the Spirit. That is to say that we can't earn what Jesus is doing for, and what Jesus has done for that. And I'm living in response of what He's accomplished in me. And I'm not working alone. I have the Spirit of God partnering with me to be what He wants me to be. Somebody say, Amen. But I also want to tell you that there is the help of the Spirit. And again, we're never working alone, are we? Again, we have the Spirit of God partnering with us to be what He wants us to be. But as the Spirit works, the help of the Spirit... We have to proclaim that what God is doing in me and in me for the world is bigger than I can see. How many times in your life have you stopped and thought, oh my goodness, how did we get here? I would have never thought I would have gotten here. Nor, by the way, would you have made the choice way back when that would have gotten you to this place and yet God led you down this path and suddenly you arrive and it's like, wow. We're never going to see all that God wants to do. In the same way that we can't really grasp in our finite minds what new creation will completely be. But I need, finally, need the Spirit to wait patiently and to pray effectively in this process. Prayer is not just the idea that I'm going to sit down every once in a while and stop and say, God, I need your help for something, or God, I want you to help this other person, those kind of things. Prayer is the idea that I'm in relationship with God. And if I'm a person who is filled by the Spirit, and by the way, you are, then I want to be in constant conversation with God, don't I? Because I want that Spirit to come out more. I want Him to be revealed more in me. I want, 
I want God's glory that I can't fully grasp to be a little bit more of everything that I do. The help of the Spirit. I would ask you three things as we wait with the Spirit. As we're in this time of groaning and suffering and waiting for all the good that God wants to bring to be revealed. Again, it isn't about the idea of just stating the reality. I know that I have the Spirit. The preacher said it. The scripture said it over me when I was baptized. It is the idea that I will say, I want to be a person of the Spirit. And Spirit, today, I want more of you. Can you say that with me? Today, I want more of you. Secondly, are you finding time in your life to be still enough to hear the Spirit point you toward the work of the Lord? I think you feel it constantly. This little, eh. I need to stop here. I need to speak to that person. I need to pick something up for somebody. But are we still enough ever in our lives? Do we turn a stinking connection to the world that is with us all the time? Do we turn it off long enough to say, God, please speak. I want to hear your spirit within me. I want you to point me in the right directions. And finally, if we're going to be people who wait on the Spirit, it's about never quitting. This isn't about the idea of, of saying, you know, I'm not going to give up on Jesus. Please don't give up on Jesus. Amen? But it's the idea that I know that God's not finished with me yet. And I'm not going to give up no matter how much I feel like, no, 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 the Spirit it can't be part of me because it would never do these kinds of bad things. And we don't quit that the Spirit isn't done yet. And sometimes what we discover is even in our brokenness and our mistakes that God can use those and leverage those even in a bigger way to bring about greater good because the Spirit is at work in our lives. So we mentioned Proverbs 31 quite a bit on Mother's Day. And, and, and I know at least one woman who, who doesn't like Proverbs 31 being quoted all the time because isn't it this incredible, idyllic picture? Right? How many of you are out there doing dyeing cloth with purple on a regular basis and weaving good cloth so that your children will never be cold and all those kinds of things? Who's storing up for the winter, right? Putting the, all those good things. My mom did a great job, but you know what I'm most thankful of? She didn't ever quit. Did she do it all perfectly all the time? The answer is no. But she didn't quit because she made a mistake. And she hasn't quit till this day. And I'm thankful to be married to a woman who doesn't quit. Moms, thank you for not quitting. Not quitting on yourself, not quitting on God, and not quitting on us, us who so much need you to care for us. The passage closes with this phrase, those he justified, those he made right. That's, that's you and I, those of us who've joined in with God and allowed His Spirit to become part of us through the waters of baptism. 
We're the ones that he's made right. He will glorify us. I, I beg you, don't quit on what God wants to do in your life. Invite him to get a little more engaged. And let's watch as he shapes in all of us. Not only what he wants me to be as a person, but what he wants us to be as his church. I'm ready to start that conversation right now with anybody. If you want to start it or continue it, please find someone to visit with, talk with, and share with. Because we want to grow in God. Amen? Let's stand as we sing. Lord.